0: Broadcasting under the night sky from the edge of an undisclosed jungle on the Gulf of Mexico, I'm Christopher Garretano, your voice in the night. For the next hour, allow me to be your guide into the bizarre unknown, the fantastic macabre, and together we'll journey to that borderland between fiction and reality, a place beyond all rational explanation. We are now off to the witch. Frontiersmen are not, as a rule, apt to be very superstitious. They lead lives too hard and practical, and have too little imagination in things spiritual and supernatural. I've heard but a few ghost stories while living out on the frontier, and these few were of a perfectly commonplace and conventional type. But I once listened to a goblin story, which rather impressed me, it was told by a grizzled weather-beaten old mountain hunter named Bauman, who was born and had passed all his life on the frontier. He must have believed in what he said, for he could hardly repress a shudder at certain points of the tale. That was from the Cowboy Land chapter of Theodore Roosevelt's memoirs, The Wilderness Hunter. It was in regard to a frontiersman named Bauman that told him a story over a campfire while he was on a buffalo hunt. It was Bauman's story that impressed Roosevelt. And as a documentarian of his own life while writing his memoirs, he wrote down his experience and his reactions to Bauman. Tonight's guest is a documentarian who's covered a large variety of topics, ranging from indigenous people to stories in urban America. He's currently filming a series of documentaries that regard the North American Bigfoot stories, and he's objectively listening to tales of people who claim that they've witnessed this elusive creature. We'll hear his story after this commercial break.
1: After these messages, we'll be right back.
0: You are listening to the Off to the Witch podcast, where we explore that bizarre borderline between fiction and reality and all subjects arcane. Journey over to my YouTube channel and subscribe now at youtube.com slash at Off to the Witch for a variety of extras and special features, including the Off to the Witch mini-docs with further insights on many of the latest episodes as well as previews and behind the scenes of my forthcoming investigative series, Off to the Witch Presents, as well as the anniversary edition of my motion picture documentary, Montauk Chronicles. And follow us on social media all links are available at linktree.com slash 7 G-A-R-E-T-A-N-O-7. And stay tuned for more Off to the Witch. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. A small band of men on a perilous search for the man-beast of Tibet, the abominable snowman of the Himalayas. You've heard of him, haven't you? the world's most shocking monster. No one's ever lived who's seen him. Be on your guard. He's coming to this theater. The abominable snowman dares you. We dare you, dare you to see the abominable snowman of the Himalayas. What
1: did it look like? Tell me, what did you see, Kusang? Tell me. I see, I see what what men must not see. They're after me. They know it was me that did it last night. They're after me after all of us. They just
0: killed McNey. Why? Huh? It was an accident. It's me next. They know it was me. Stay here! Ed, Ed, I can hear you! You've got to understand, that isn't Shelley, it isn't anybody! I can hear his voice! It's in your own mind! It's just happened to me too! Warning, only those with stout nerves and strong hearts should risk seeing the abominable snowman of the Himalayas. off to the witch. I'm your host Christopher Garitano and tonight's guest Eric Swanson has been a documentary filmmaker for the last 20 years and he recently chose the subject of the North American Bigfoot and he's approaching his subjects objectively listening to their stories without inherent bias but with an openness to believe and consider the existence of the elusive creature. So here's my interview with Eric Swanson.
1: Well, I grew up um, in uh, the Mid-Hudson Valley in upstate New York. Um, It was actually, I guess, pretty, you know, I thought it was the suburbs, I guess, but it was actually pretty rural. I I literally had a stream across the street from my house. Um, I used to go over there every day after school and play and, you know, ride bikes with the local neighborhood kids. And the tallest mountain in the county was probably quarter mile away to get to the base of the mountain so we would go hike up there and just horse around and have have a lot of fun in the woods Um, my best friend growing up uh, Justin I'll give him a shout out um, uh, he literally lived at the top of a mountain and behind his house was I think it's an 80,000 acre forest preserve and you know he and I are both still huge fans and Have a great love of the outdoors, and would just run around like nuts through the woods as little kids, not even thinking. I mean, we were we discovered these caves behind his house one time when I was a kid, and we came back, we were all excited. We showed his dad, we showed my dad, and the first thing out of their mouths was, "Well, you can go in there now because it's the winter, and luckily there's no bears in there." But in the summertime, you got to watch out for rattlesnakes. We were just dumb kids; didn't even think of that sort of thing. That climbing into a cave might not be the smartest idea, you know?
0: So in other words, you grew up like Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer. I mean, honestly.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, we were both uh, very freckled.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, that's and that's a wonderful way to grow up. I mean, I, I wasn't upstate New York, but I still hung out in the woods a lot. And in your case, there was a, again, you just said there was something to the tune of what was it? 80,000 acres or more, right? Yeah. One of those preserves alone. So in that time and all that time out in the woods, and I'm sure you had a fascination with the subject at hand. Um, did you have the subject of the, the Bigfoot or the Sasquatch in your mind when you were out
1: there playing in the caves or in the woods? Um, no, I mean, honestly, not that I recall, you know, we were you know, had active imaginations and would, you know, play make believe and run around and, you know, it sounds silly, but you know, we would find like the perfect stick and, you know, like sword fight with it and use it as a cane and bang trees with it. Just you know, being little kids and horsing around. Um, you know, I was always interested in Bigfoot and all of that, but as a kid I didn't realize that there were sightings of Bigfoot outside of the Pacific Northwest. Um, you know, I knew there's a couple of water born cryptids here in New York. There's one called Kipsy that supposedly lives in the Hudson River and another one called Champ, uh, that supposedly lives in Lake Champlain. So I knew of them and I would, you know, kind of keep an eye out for them when I was near either the river or the lake or out on a boat or something. But, uh, yeah, I mean for the most part, you know, we were we were just horsing around and honestly we were causing such such a ruckus and making so much noise that you know any animal was going to know we were there long before we ever got close to it.
0: Sure, so you were just, you know, having your any any typical young boy in those situations having your adventures and that's what you were interested in. Uh but you did hunt when you were a kid, correct?
1: Uh yeah. Yeah, when I um I mean basically you know, as as soon as I was legally old enough to, which I don't know, was probably like fourteen or something like that, you could go uh small game hunting for squirrels and bir- uh you know, birds and whatnot. And um there I mean there was a time when this is when I was much older. I was in uh college, I think at this point. I mean I went out I think it was Thanksgiving morning, and I had been out the night before you know doing doing college age guy stuff, and I basically didn't get home until probably an hour half hour before my father woke me up to go out hunting so as soon as I got in the woods, I just unloaded my rifle, laid it across my lap, and leaned up against a tree, and took a nap and somehow I woke up so motionless that I just opened my eyes and there was a bird a chickadee perched at the end of my gun barrel.
0: Wow. And so you, okay, so you've had really odd experiences just in general with nature, nature that we're aware of, that we know exists a hundred percent. In all the time you were out there and you were out there a lot, right? Throughout your life. um, And there are so many report even just in that area of the United States There's everything from UFO sightings. I mean, I think it's not far from there that um, Whitley Strieber, you know, had his experience that he ended up writing about in communion.
1: Yeah, that's about 18 miles, 20 miles away.
0: Yeah, not far at all. In all that time, what was the most, the strange experience, the weirdest experience you had? Anything questionable, uh, anything that you could attest to something that might be completely out of the ordinary?
1: Yeah, I mean honestly, I'm racking my brain and you know, nothing really jumps out at me. Um you know, that I mean, there's strange things that just happen where, you know, you're out in the middle of the woods in the middle of nowhere, and you know, you just hear this enormously loud crash and you know, a tree somewhere a hundred yards away just fell over, you know, and it's kind of one of those things that what are you know, there's that old Whatever philosophical question or joke about if a tree falls in the woods and no one's there to hear it thing, but at the same time, it's like, what are the chances that a tree is going to fall in the woods and someone is there to actually hear it? You know.
0: Sure, and I suppose what I'm what I'm getting at is you've spent a lot of time in the woods yourself in the wilderness. Um, you've known a lot of people that have other hunters, your dad, and all that time. I guess before I'm going to ask this next question, did your dad ever claim to have seen anything out of the ordinary in all his years up there?
1: Um well, recently he and my mom is like a couple years ago. Uh they live further north now. Um they saw uh what my mom describes just as a weird creature, my dad agrees with her that it They think, my dad thinks, it was a hairless bear. They were just going out for a walk. Uh, You know, they take a morning walk every day. And they just saw this weird, you know, grayish creature with no hair on it cross the road in front of them. And if I remember correctly, it was like down near one of the neighbor's cabins for a little bit, and they could see it. And you know, they just didn't know what the heck it was. And I, like I said, they, you know, my dad speculates that it was probably a bear infected with mange, which, um, you know, is from what I understand and what I've read is actually a very, it's very common, but a very miserable disease that usually you see it in coyotes around the Hudson Valley. Um, Some of them are just really sickly looking. And the best way to describe it is that if you look up the photos of that alleged chupacabra from Texas about ten or fifteen years ago, that was a coyote infected with mage and sure. you know, when you see an animal that's typically covered in hair and it has no hair on it, it looks very strange and and unnatural
0: okay, and this is this is leading into this this question that I'm about to ask. And so in very modern times, there was, it's, it's so weird how far removed from nature a lot of people are. They don't live in it. They don't visit it frequently. And so there was a zoo, I believe in Southeast Asia, I think. And the incident at the zoo was that a very particular breed of bear was standing upright. And everybody, including a lot of extremely intelligent people on the internet declared that this was a man in a suit. And looking at it, okay, and I'm not an expert in bears, immediately I knew it was a bear. Like You can just see the muscles move. You can see that this is a real animal. How could anyone doubt this? And so there are so many cases of people claiming to see werewolves, dogmen, Bigfoot, this, that. and the, And I'm not saying they're not seeing those things, but in the case of your parents being a little more cautious and and perhaps offering a different explanation of what they saw because someone might cut in if they were telling that story and say, "No, no, no, no that was the dog man, and your dad would probably be like, "Oh, how the hell do you know you weren't there you know yeah um, and so and I and once again, I'm not saying that people aren't seeing these things uh, and haven't and they don't exist, but I think it's important that um That it requires you to have some experience in nature before you absolutely declare what you saw at a far distance, at least, is this, this, or that. Because there are other factors that encourage a person to tell a tale, you know? And um, I think the listeners sometimes don't realize that. And see, my, my thing is, I do believe some of these things exist. It's just very difficult to get to the truth when... You know, there's a large portion of people that are seeing them uh, and not giving it a chance that it might be something else like you had just explained. Do you feel that people who haven't been in the wilderness and have almost zero experience out there might mistake any of the normal things you've heard, a tree falling, coyotes leaving the den, whatever, any variety of things that might be very strange to someone who doesn't go in the woods that much? do you think that it's why is it that people might jump so quick to say it's something weird or something mysterious
1: well i think for one um one thing is that if people aren't spending a lot of time in the woods they don't realize how common a lot of animals and strange sounds are like if you if you go out in the woods um an hour before sunrise and just sit there like most people do during deer season. Most hunters do during deer season. You're going to hear every creepy, weird sound you've ever heard. You're going to hear what sounds like tree knocking or this weird creaking sound or this eerie um, howl. And then once the sun comes up, you're going to look over and you're going to be like, Oh, okay. That, Knocking sound is those trees over there banging against each other in the wind. The howling is the wind blowing through those rocks, and the creaking is the tree off here to my left. You know, and I often wonder. Um, you know, I've read a lot of accounts or or heard, uh, I guess, read is probably the correct word. Um, a lot of accounts of certain behaviors that are kind of attributed to Bigfoot or Sasquatch, whatever you want to call it. And some of them, I would love to speak to these people to be able to myself, to be able to ask them some follow-up questions because some of them, I think can be explained by ordinary animal behaviors that folks are just not necessarily aware of.
0: And do, and, And do you feel that addressing that is actually healthy and might advance people more towards, uh, discovering something new, if it is out there, than keeping it stagnant and allowing every little story to come through and be shared. I mean, I, I believe in listening to every person, no matter how outrageous the tale, but when it comes to this stuff, some of the stuff seems so obvious that it could have been, uh, a variety of things that you're used to out in the wilderness because there are people who spend their lives out there and never see a thing but then they're hearing a lot of these stories like hey man i hear i hear bigfoot knocking and it's like wait a second you know i can bring in five guys that hear that same noise every night and they know exactly what it is and it's it's
1: not bigfoot you know yeah <laughs> a funny story about that um two of the folks who were in my skunk video uh the the older couple who i shouldn't call them older the ron and Lori who uh asked not to have their faces shown they they just love the wilderness and um they have had a, a bunch of very very bizarre encounters um i actually spent some time with them up in uh white new york uh in july and got to hear a little bit more of some of their experiences um but the funny thing is that they they're just out there trying to enjoy nature and yes hoping that they encounter something strange or seeing what they encounter but that's not what they're actively doing and they kind of became part of the florida bigfoot community because other folks were out in the swamp that they hang out in and they ran into someone and according to them This guy was they were like, what the heck are you doing out here in the middle of nowhere? They wanted to make sure the guy wasn't lost because they typically don't encounter people out in the middle of uh, the swamp. The guy said, oh, I'm looking for Bigfoot. What are you doing? And they were like, oh, yeah, us, too. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, like they're keeping an eye out because Lori has had a Bigfoot sighting and they've both had a lot of strange encounters that they can't quite explain. But that's not necessarily why they're actively out there. And, um, I mean, they've told me stories where they'll hear knocking off to their left when they're just sitting out in the middle of the night in the dark, just hanging out, enjoying nature. And they'll hear tree knocks off to their left and look over and see people, you know, several hundred yards off with their headlamps on. And then they'll hear another group off to their right tree knocking and they'll see those people's headlamps on. So it's like, there's certain areas that. I guess around the Green Swamp, I think it is, are so popular with Bigfooters that sometimes they speculate that these people are actually tree knocking and howling back and forth to each other.
0: And the, and and that's where trouble comes into the forest. You know, it's um, because I think it's worth. Just there's so many wonderful uh, stories and accounts that were either recorded or written. I mean, even going back, way back to, uh, I love Theodore Roosevelt's observation of someone he claimed that he had a conversation with on, I believe it was a buffalo hunt. Okay. But this guy was recollecting, his name was Bauman, and he was recollecting something that happened years previous And the story's horrifying. I love the story, but it's such a random thing for Roosevelt to have written in his memoirs that have nothing to do with the paranormal. He even sets you up for it and says, I'm not one to believe in this stuff. And neither are frontiersmen. They typically don't really care about any of this stuff, but I have to tell you this story. And he tells the story of Bauman telling him a story uh, over a campfire uh, just after supper. And I know you know this story. And um, you know, Bauman's he was a trapper and his buddy was killed by whatever this thing was and it was stalking them for two nights, real creepy stuff. And so those stories go way back, and it's like, I I love stuff like that, you know, because those are the movies I grew up with. And these I you know, these these spooky stories give me a thrill. And I think that's the main reason why anybody got into this stuff. Then there's another, you know, people have personal experiences that they swear. There are, have been hunters like yourself. There have been outdoorsmen that have seen these things and said, no, man, I've seen bears with mange. I've seen this. I know what I saw. And so those intrigue me. And then you have so many other people like the, you know, some of these Characters that are out there howling at each other and tree knocking to each other um, and I think that's what gets in the way of any kind of progress if if that's what this is to find find out what this is now you have a background a long you know background and evolution in movie making and documentary filmmaking it's lasted many years and so can you tell me a little bit about? what you've covered before you decided you were actually going to cover the topic of bigfoot
1: uh yeah sure i um i mean i i've kind of all over the place with my interests and uh like to just learn about um <clears throat> various topics and film them and kind of share that with other folks i i kind of started off the first i guess real thing that i made um a not real thing, but kind of straight up documentary. It's more like a ski film, um, just exploring kind of people's love of skiing and snowboarding. And uh part of, you know, one of my favorite segments from that film was actually exploring the old uh historic ski trails from like the nineteen twenties in the Adirondacks in New York. They're some of the oldest ski trails in the country back before there were ski lifts or anything like that um and then i've done um several interviews uh slash short documentaries on uh where i interviewed andean shamans from uh mostly from ecuador i have a few um ladies who work in the witches market in bolivia that i need to finally get around to editing um, I've done a bunch of history videos um, about kind of historic forts from everything from Castillo de San Marcos in uh, St. Augustine, Florida, civil war fort in um, Fort Pulaski in Georgia. Uh, I made a feature length documentary about the siege of Fort William Henry, which is a French and Indian war siege made famous by um, basically being the backdrop to the story, The Last of the Mohicans and then i've also kind of interviewed um and done slash done urban exploring uh with a bunch of or interviewed several homeless people and done some urban exploring to kind of find um you know folks that are essentially homeless but have made themselves a home in unconventional locations and fashions and you know one of those my most popular uh, documentary, basically being a series of short docs that I did about the uh, so-called mole people living in the tunnels beneath New York City, and I'm sure I'm sure that I've um, probably you know missed a couple of topics here and there, but to me, what what I find the most fascinating about all of those topics even the history documentaries that I've done some of them are short you know one lo- uh, feature length is I try to find actual uh in the case of the history documentaries I try to find actual primary source materials where someone who was at one of these sieges or someone who was at a specific battle preferably more than one person but they wrote journal entries and they documented what it was that they saw. Um, And again, with the, you know, like the mole people and some of the other, you know, unhoused folks that I've interviewed, it's just interesting getting to learn about other people's lives and other people's perspectives and hear them tell their stories and and see the ingenuity of some folks and the, you know, um, adverse... Events that they've had to overcome in their lives, you know. And to me, you know, one of the main uh, main aspects about the topic of Bigfoot and things like that that I find fascinating is basically learning about the people that are witnessing these creatures, and then also the people that are out there looking for them. You know, I feel like those are, there's something interesting about that. And I feel like, to me, that almost, to some degree, in certain cases, lends a lot of credence to folks' stories where they're they're moved so much that some people don't ever want to go in the woods again. And some people can't wait to get back out there and hope to see this thing again.
0: And And I want to get to where you began with the cuz it's it's a series of documentaries you've made one so far and you're in the middle of finishing one i believe right and you have another one planned
1: uh yeah well i'm going to be um i'm making a new one uh basically about bigfoot sightings in and around upstate new york and a specific kind of protected wilderness up there and um What I'm planning on doing is while I'm working on the longer feature length, uh, documentary, I'm going to be releasing kind of short, maybe five to 10 minute videos of some of the interviews and, you know, different scenes or, or segments, which from the, the larger documentary, you know, they'll probably be different because for example, I'm working on one now, uh, That's a, uh, you know, witness recounting his tale of seeing Bigfoot cross in front of his car. And um, I may actually even break out and do, you know, one or two additional documentaries, not necessarily, you know, they will be maybe 30 to 40 minutes long because there are a few... Encounters or clusters of encounters that I just I find super fascinating and want to spend more time with. For example, this gentleman that I was just referring to uh, who saw a Bigfoot cross the road within about two or three miles of his sighting, two other guys also had sightings roughly around the same time.
0: Those are the stories that uh, intrigue me because I believe a lot of people throughout history have seen these things for sure. And, um, you know, it's about sifting through, I think the subject matter has been quite saturated with, uh, maybe network TV taking advantage of it and capitalizing on it and Hey, well, that's their business and all, but it does have an effect overall, uh, on actually, um, I think, Exploring the best of the stories because they don't seem to have taste for that, or they don't seem to have the the radar for that. They just, you know, they just want to keep hashing out episodes. So I think it's refreshing that someone like yourself, who has covered a large variety of topics before this that really had nothing to do with the subject, is finally taking a look at it, and that'll offer a much stronger uh, display. Uh, for the audience, so where did you, where was it? What really intrigued you to start? What made you? Because you know, I know you are interested in hearing their stories, and you're you're interested in hearing directly from the people. And I think a lot of these documentaries or these documentarians do that's they want to hear stories. But what was it from your perspective after being affected by other subject matter? You know, you went from interviewing people in the the subways who lived in tunnels in new york city to now speaking to people who really believe there's a bigfoot out there um in your perspective like what what was it that made you make that transition from something very real to something we haven't been able to prove yet
1: well um i mean i can't exactly put my finger on it but uh part of it i would say actually is since you mentioned the mole people to a lot of people, and myself included, you know, living in New York State, and then I lived in New York City for quite a while as well, You, you, the mole people is an urban legend. It's something that most folks don't actually think is real. And one day, late at night, I was heading home from work and standing on a subway platform, and I saw a guy jump down onto the tracks sling a bag full of whatever his belongings over his shoulder and just start walking down the subway tracks. You know, he wasn't a worker. He he didn't have an orange vest on or anything. And I was just like, Oh my goodness. The, it turns out all of those urban legends were actually true. And, you know, then it, it led me to go and try to explore and find some of these folks and, you know, I was fortunate enough to be able to do that and interview them and, i was just blown away that um you know this this idea of there being an actual kind of quote unquote society loose society of people living beneath the streets of new york was actually real and i mean the funny thing is that's actually one of the comments i've gotten most on some of those documentaries as people are blown away to find out that this is actually a real thing and not an urban legend or completely made up. Um, And, you know, I'm admittedly, I am skeptical about Bigfoot, but I thought at the very least, it would be interesting to learn why a group of folks out there in the world are, going out there and looking for this creature that may or may not actually exist. And I found that part pretty interesting. More just the, you know, like let let's talk to these people and learn from them and hear their theories and ideas on this, you know, cryptic cryptozoological animal that again, most most folks think doesn't exist, you know. I also um, wanted to explore the idea of it being in Florida, you know. I, I happen to be traveling to Florida anyway, but um, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, when you look at – if you look on Google Maps and you look at Florida and you look at um, – like the Ocala National Forest or the Everglades or the Green Swamp. You know, you look at that stuff from a satellite map, and those areas are enormous. It's not hard to imagine that there could be animals hiding in there that people are not seeing on a regular basis.
0: Of course. And, you know, there are a variety of so called cryptids uh, sightings throughout history. Let's just say in North American history, all kinds. I mean, there are lizards monsters in the jungle and all this other stuff you know um i mean right out of creature from the black lagoon and i wonder sometimes if is it is fiction informed by things that people have really seen and now there seems to be and i'm not sure why maybe perhaps the, because the world is in such turmoil and that we've been able to prove that there are some serious conspiracies happening you know that it, it sparks the mind to be open to just about anything at that point. And there seems to be a willingness and an opening of the mind to much more elaborate concepts. I mean, just in the last month, we've had congressional hearings that seemingly have uh, people who've worked for deep areas of, you know, hidden government and admitted that not only were they finding anomalous craft from some other technology, from some other being, but also the beings themselves. Once those things are put into play, you have to be able to consider that maybe there is a mystical world. Maybe there is something going on out there. And up until this point, I've always thought of the Bigfoot as something that was very possible that might be just conscious of us very elusive, knows to stay away from us, probably backed out, you know, after the um, industrial revolution, Uh, I mean, just before it or during it, Uh, there were wars going on, civil war, they were just slowly moving into deeper areas of the wilderness. And that seems reasonable uh, that they did exist and they still do. And they just keep their population control down. How do you feel about another aspect of it? since people are open to the mystical world, interdimensional ideas, and even quantum physics is starting to kind of acknowledge that maybe we're living on some multidimensional existence, is that the enchanted world, so to speak, has doorways. And that maybe these doorways open up and perhaps the Bigfoot or things like it are creatures from this other dimension coming in and out of reality. And And a lot of these um uh, Bigfoot enthusiasts seem to believe that. And, and again, I am, I am not, uh, here to make fun of anyone my mind is open. How do you feel about that possibility after learning that, you know, in these congressional hearings that they are talking about beings that might
1: be from some other dimension? Well, it's funny because I, I was kind of blown away, um, by, you know, like I've, I'll, First of all, I'll watch a documentary about anything, as long as it's well-made. But I would always watch uh, documentaries about Bigfoot, um, about you know various cryptids, as long as they were well-made, as long as they weren't analyzing the Patterson-Gimlet footage for the 50th time, then I would check it out. And when I started looking into this to make my own documentaries, I was amazed that how little I actually knew on the subject, even though I had probably at this point in my life watched, you know, well over a dozen documentaries, if not more, on Bigfoot. Um, you know, I never got into the Bigfoot TV shows, but you know, over the years, for you know, the past 30 something years, um, ever since I was a kid, you know, I, I would watch a lot of that stuff. And when I first started hearing some of these ideas I uh I guess skeptical isn't the right word. I I thought it was a little crazy. Um you know, now I've moved on to skeptical where <laughs> I'm open to the possibility because I think that there are a lot of things in this world that we really have no idea about. Um everybody either has an experience themselves or knows someone very close to them that they trust where something as simple as um, you know, you you could be going for a walk and for whatever reason, you just don't feel comfortable on the side of the road that you're on and you go to the other side of the road. And next thing you know, you see some crazy driver swerve up onto the sidewalk because they're texting or doing who knows what. And then you know, if you had been standing there, you you wouldn't be here today. Um, one of my, uh, you know, neighbors was telling me that they have a friend who several years ago, you know, they live in New York, they were on vacation in Colorado, and somehow was going on a picnic in a park and just didn't feel right about the location they were going to sit down for a picnic. So they moved about a quarter mile away to a different section of the park, put the blanket down, sat down, and this gentleman felt something sticking into his backside, reached down, and it was his daughter's college ring that she had lost like six months earlier and was afraid to tell him that she had lost it because he bought it for her. You know, it's like that. there's all sorts of bizarre encounters like that. And, you know, I know several others that are much more fantastical that I've, I've heard, you know, essentially people having um, for lack of a better description, kind of a ESP connection, you know, not, not like you see in the movies where they're having entire conversations without speaking, but, you know, someone calling out someone else's name, while they're in a meditative state and the other person hearing that and recognizing it. And, you know, I've had both parties acknowledge these things to me and I believe them, you know? Um, so the more I've thought about these ideas and about portals and whatnot, and then like you mentioned with the UFOs, I mean, to me, I, I think you're crazy if you don't believe in UFOs. um, I feel like there's so much evidence, it's so absurd to think that, you know, when you look up in the sky, all of those stars, I mean, just take Orion, the constellation Orion alone has what, like, seven stars in it. Who knows how many planets are revolving around, I think it has more than seven stars because of the arm, but anyway, who knows how many planets are revolving around each one of those stars. And very likely could have some sort of life form on it, you know? Um so to me, I, I mean I'm even more open to the idea, you know, I know it it is it sounds nuts, but like maybe Bigfoot is a UFO, is an alien. How do I know? I have no idea, you know?
0: Sure. You know, the fan fantastic world that we grew up watching in, in movies, uh, you know, everything from uh from epics like Lord of the Rings, okay, to the never-ending story, all had mythical and mystical beasts. And every culture around the world has them from dragons to unicorns, to all this stuff. And imagine all of that is real either at one point or is real now in some other existence, and that is where we're channeling this stuff. But if you were to offer, let's say, a more realistic explanation as to why no one's been able to truly prove that the Bigfoot and things like it are real, can you offer some other scenario outside of the mystic that we might be overlooking and that might make some sense, some grounded sense and not to dismiss the mystic, I'm just saying, is there, other, is there another explanation as to why no one's been able to really prove it yet?
1: Um, Well, I mean, there's there's sections of this country still. Like here in New York, you know, most people think of Times Square and Manhattan. And basically, once you get out, I don't know, we'll say 20 miles, maybe, maybe a little more outside of new york city i mean you could probably walk th- through the woods from westchester which is the county just north of uh the bronx you could walk from westchester basically to canada with only having to cross a few roads. you know it's not impossible for animals to to be unnoticed um i mean I, i've I have a you know a game camera that just for my own amusement I put out in my backyard to, you know, like watch the groundhogs and whatnot. And I was super surprised to see uh last summer at five AM, pretty much every morning before the sun came up, there was four or five deer hanging out in the backyard. And you know, this is a, a small city where I live. You know, it's not it it's basically a large town, but still, you wouldn't think that these deer are hanging out in the middle of town and, you know, they can just walk probably a quarter mile to a small patch of woods, a half mile to a mountain, you know, or maybe a mile to the mountain. But, um, you know, they're, they're all around us. They just know how to... Known animals are all around us. They just know how to avoid us. So if you imagine a you know large primate of some sort um that is intelligent, you know, more intelligent than a deer, more intelligent than a raccoon which you also very rarely see. It it very likely could know how to avoid humans and where to go to do that, you know. There's I mean probably many 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 millions of acres in this country still that are protected national forests or just protected wildlife reserves, forest preserves, state parks. And some of them, yes, they have hikers and stuff, but very few people venture off the main trails. And there's probably locations I would be willing to bet here in upstate New York that certainly there hasn't been a human being in probably 100 years, if ever wow
0: and so in that in that case then it is possible that the the explanation and this this creature that people have been seeing for so many years around the world is more grounded is of earth and that it's aware of us and that it knows how to hide and keep its population down and is uh, perhaps not too far from our intelligence however it would be a creature that would never fit in you know uh and maybe it knows that and maybe it's always known that and wanted nothing to do with us uh, for good reason
1: (laughs) yeah well i mean for the the documentary that i'm working on now i you know researched and found a bunch of old newspaper articles i think the oldest one might have been 1818 And, you know, of large hairy wild men being spotted, uh, in some cases, at least one instance, it turned out that it was just a hermit um, who was covered in, you know, animal furs to keep himself warm. But tragically, that hermit was killed. And in, if you like read, I found a couple of articles where, you know, just for argument's sake, these dates are totally made up. You know, I'll find an article from 1920, August 8th, where a, a hairy man was spotted. Then I'll find another article from August 10th, 1920, where they're reporting that the county sheriff and all the locals formed a posse to go hunt down this thing. So if that has been, if these things are real, and that is the Basically, the typical response is for humans to go and hunt them down in large groups. Even if it is eight feet tall and this massively strong, impressive, powerful creature, there's only so many humans that can fight off, especially once guns came into the picture, you know?
0: these messages we'll be right back hello sheriff. it's up to terrible happen another one of them creature stories only this one tops them all it took off with this girl he thinks <laughs> what do these creatures want the only thing i can figure out is that they're a dying race and they want to reproduce more of their own kind we can live high on the home for the rest of our lives. But all I want to do is get my
1: girl back. I got guns and lights out in the car. Stop, stop! They're practically subhuman. Except that they still look like animals. How horrible. That's my crit up there! This series presents information
0: based in part on theory and conjecture. The producer's purpose is to suggest some possible explanations, but not necessarily the only ones, to the mysteries we will examine. See okay so that offers a, a an, an interesting segue into a somewhat related topic the idea of wild men the idea of very reclusive uh, archaic you know mountain men types that have been out there for a long time now there's those those missing 411 books and those are very real cases where people are just vanishing and there's some bizarre stuff that's happened those stories are chilling. They're, they're terrifying. I spook myself out when I read them, but you know, they, they people have asked uh, David Politis uh, if what he really felt about it. And I think at one point he'd offered an explanation that he feels like in a lot of cases, maybe these are reclusive mountain men. Uh, and that's a broad term, but mountain men abducting people. Do you, And and this is going into like, you know, slasher film territory, you know, but those people exist. How do you feel about that idea? And were you ever aware of any real reclusive groups that have been out there for a very long time in different parts of North America?
1: Um, I'm not aware of any, uh, groups, but there's definitely been, you know, very reclusive, uh, hermits, um, in various areas. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm more familiar with the new york area but um i mean there was a famous i i forget what they called him i want to say like the leather man or something uh in the hudson valley because from years ago I, I don't recall a date but he you know early 1900s perhaps um he would you know dress himself all in animal hides and looked very you know foreboding and occasionally would walk into town to go get something or someone would spot him walking on the road and there was up in the Adirondack mountains, um, you know, several very famous hermits who I think were, you know, living up there into the sixties and seventies of, you know, the last century. So it's not this completely foreign idea. There are a lot of people who just for whatever reason just want to go and be left alone and, you know, live off the grid and live off the land. And I can easily imagine that if someone, a young person, an old person, whoever, if you're just walking through the woods, you're going to be startled and you're not, you're somewhere that you don't expect to see a human being or or a human shaped being. And in that instance, I can easily see how perhaps some hermits have l- lent or been misidentified as, you know, what we now call Bigfoot.
0: Of course. And do you think that some of these hermit types could be dangerous? You know, I mean, this is right out of The Hills Have Eyes or any numerous number of uh, slasher films in the woods stories that
1: we watched when we were kids. or still watch. Oh, uh, yeah, sure. Um one story one newspaper article that I found the the guy I was telling you that they killed uh the cops and his posse um it, it's a little hard to know so this one I I believe was from 1932 um they they claim the claim is in the article that a couple of hunters approached this man's cabin not knowing, knowing he was there not realizing and i he either shot at them or attacked them in some fashion and they ran off came back with the sheriff and then the posse killed him um you know who knows this could be i mean it happens all the time nowadays where you know somebody somebody gets killed and you know uh, and a gun or a knife gets planted so who i'm not certainly not uh, dismissing the idea that that might have happened back in the 1930s as well But this guy also, you never know, he might've, he might've actually attacked them. Maybe for lack of a better term, he lived isolated for so long that he became essentially feral.
0: And that's, you know, and that's the thing there, there might be a series of feral people out there in the night. They could be rather large people and maybe covered in hunted furs, you know, you don't know. And, um. Like you had said earlier, I think maybe seeing something like that in the middle of nowhere is quite jarring. Also, you know, you have generations of young people right now that are going out into the wilderness to film themselves for like TikTok and you know these modern apps and stuff. And some of these are you know pretty young girls that I I know of a couple that would just go out by themselves in the middle of nowhere, and I think that's a big mistake. Um, You know, you're you're a target. And some of them have gone missing. And so I suspect sometimes that we're dealing with humans taking them, you know, because everyone's so quick to say, oh, you know, she was abducted by a Bigfoot. It's so mysterious. And it's like, did you ever think there might be reclusive people out there or some really sinister people who watch TikTok and see these people broadcasting from the middle of nowhere and they just go out there and wait for them to show up, you know? Um, they're like sitting ducks, and uh, you know our horror films have have shown this for years. And I'm always fascinated at that stuff too, because I think it's a somewhat related topic. It's you know it's two different worlds. The wilderness is a very dangerous place. It could be a beautiful place, but if you don't know much about it and you enter it as an aesthetic, it could swallow you. You know, do you feel that way about it? Since you're somebody that's been out there
1: oh yeah for sure i um i don't know in middle middle or end of July I was out um i went out you know hiked out and did an overnight camp at a lake in the uh adirondack mountains and um i I didn't take the main trail in i uh i'm actually i'm this lake is like an area where one of the folks I interviewed suspects bigfoots live in the area which is why I went out there um and i'm actually i'm super familiar with the area which is basically the only reason i went out there i'm not really that interested in going out and trying to find bigfoot but this guy's one story has me intrigued just because of how familiar i am with the area i i've, I've been going up there for years and hunting and hiking and you know backcountry skiing all sorts of stuff um and I saw bushwhacking and basically it was super thick underbrush. So I would look for a game trail and I'm following a game trail and it's kind of nerve wracking. Like, you know, I'm making a ton of noise. I'm carrying a backpack with, you know, all my camping gear, some camera gear. I'm, you know, huffing and puffing because I'm, you know, not in as good a shape as I would like to be. And. But at the whole time, I mean, my head is on a swivel because it's like I know and I saw, you know, bear scat. I saw moose scat. I saw bear tracks. I saw a moose hoof print in the area on Memorial Day, the last time I had hiked up there before I knew that Bigfoot supposedly lived there. Um, and it's like I am i certainly don't want to run into a bear, but i am I was actually more nervous about running into a moose. I mean, they're just these enormous, massive, like 1,200-pound, seven, eight-foot-tall animal, possibly larger. And, you know, from everything that I know about them, um, they can be a little unpredictable and a little curmudgeon you know? You certainly, from what I've read, you don't want to run into one during their mating season, you know? Thankfully... Have,
0: have moose been known to kill people?
1: Uh, that I'm not sure of, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but, uh, I, I mean, I know of instances where they've did done seven, you know, several thousand dollars worth of damage to people's pickup trucks when they're in the road and the guy in the pickup truck blows the horn to get the moose out of the way. And the moose just lowers his antlers and you know wrecks havoc on the, <laughs> on the guy's car. Wow.
0: Okay so in in the stories you've heard so far or even read what would you say is the most convincing bigfoot story that you've and it could have occurred anywhere around the world but what is the most convincing for you and why hmm for
1: me i'm going to say two different stories that i heard and both of the guys the one guy um you know was an outdoorsman d- did a lot of hiking i i don't know if he was a hunter or not i imagine he was um or is still he's still alive uh and then the other gentleman is definitely a hunter and he actually his sighting he had while he was going out hunting and both of these guys part of what they weren't really sensationalized they were like most wild animal encounters you know like typically if you see um a wild animal in the woods like a a large animal we'll say like a deer a fisher a coyote coyotes can be a little curious but still they'll they keep their distance and you see them because they have already started moving to get away from you. You know, like they, it's a, it's amazing how well they blend into the surroundings. And, you know, certainly uh, the one sighting was the guy down in Florida. The other sighting was a guy here in New York. And both of those locations have such thick underbrush and understory with ferns and palmettos in Florida. Um, that something could be thirty feet away from you, and you could completely miss it and not see it and so both of these gentlemen, their encounters were just they stumbled upon something, it either didn't realize they could see it or you know thought they couldn't and then something happened that they startled it, and it kind of was just there, looked at them for a little bit, they were in shock <laughs> and you know, then the encounter was over. The creature walked off type of deal. Um, And now this might be some of my bias because like I said earlier, I am, you know, fairly skeptical. I'm certainly open to the possibility. And honestly, I would love for Bigfoot to be real. I think it's awesome. Um, But they're not, these two particular stories aren't overly sensationalized. and. you know, I, I don't think that in a lot of cases folks are, they're in if you're not looking to, in these days, go and start a YouTube channel saying that you're interacting with Bigfoot or you're not, you know, trying to really gain notoriety from it, you really have nothing to gain by sharing it. You have everything to lose. You have people to make fun of you, people think you're a crackpot, so... I don't believe that if you were to come up with a story and you knew that you're probably going to face ridicule and probably not get any benefit from it by it just being a fairly mundane animal sighting, essentially, you know? Like, why would you make that up? And again, with both of these guys, being that they're outdoorsmen. And the one guy, a hunter, the other guy, I think might have been a hunt, might be a hunter, but definitely big into hiking and just hanging out in the woods. They, They both are familiar with the wildlife in their area. They both probably are not going to mistake a bear or in the case of the guy in New York, a moose for being something else, you know.
0: Right. So it, when hunters are saying they're seeing these things, it could be for a variety of reasons. They're still human beings, you know, and, and hunters can be flawed enough to make up a story and want to bank on it somehow um, or just, you know, have the company of other people and be part of something. I, but I think most people are not compelled to sit here and make up a story like that. And that's why I, I, I think some of these stories, of course, throughout history are true that they at the very least believe they saw something. And I believe certainly a few people have definitely have seen something. Um, are you aware of any, I mean, what's the most compelling artifact that's been left behind? And that could include any kind of video or film.
1: Um, I mean, I've seen some uh, game camera photos and, you know, footage or um that, it's it you know it's one of those things. All the photos and all the footage are blurry, but at the same time, if it's a game camera, like it's only within the past few years that game cameras have decent quality footage, and um, they're expensive, you know. And if typically the people who are catching them on game cameras are are hunters, and they're putting the game cameras out because they want to see where the game are traveling. They don't, they're not really interested in getting award-winning photos. So they're not buying the highest and most expensive game cameras because they want to be able to buy five, you know, low quality, mediocre game cameras for the price of one high quality one. Um, And I mean, I've seen some photos that it's like, I, You know, I can see a a shape of a upright rust colored being, you know, I I can't make out details on it, but at the same time, it's like, well, it's, it's certainly interesting, you know? Um, I've seen footprints, you know, I've seen a couple of casts of footprints. Um, I find I I certainly find that interesting. You know, some of them are large, uh, but all of it is, you know, it's kind of who knows. I I think in the case of like what, what I find really interesting is where they find footprints and people have sightings where there aren't any black bears or any moose, something that could be potentially mistaken for as a Bigfoot due to its size. And with the footprints, because black bears, a lot of time, their front paw and their back paw will both step roughly in the same area and leave an impression that looks like a larger footprint than what it actually is.
0: So you being a critical thinker uh, and you're further removed your passion is in documentary movie making you know i know that perspective i've approached things in the same way i there i have my opinions about things and i have my beliefs but it never gets in the way of me um being objective you know and 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 also uh having a critical eye for things and listening and allowing the audience to make up their own mind but if someone were to say to you could and And with your expertise and your experience in life, you could lend to this if you were to set up uh an ideal situation to perhaps find something in terms of the bigfoot right? If you had unlimited resources and anybody, any expert that tracker you know military guys, whatever you needed, how would you? How would your dream configuration look? what would it consist of for a hunt?
1: oh wow um that's an interesting question i uh honestly I think I would keep it super low key you know um i I would be curious to i don't know enough about um like drones with thermal imaging. I would certainly be curious about that but I would need to know can they detect thermal heat signatures through a really thick canopy of leaves um if so it would be cool to to have that um but it, again it would need to be you know how high can this thing go and can you still hear it because If you're, you know, if you hear the familiar buzzing of a drone flying overhead, you're going to spook a lot of animals. Um, So I would say, honestly, I would, I think, as a wild guess, but, you know, after talking to people who have seen these things or are people who definitely have their theories, I would go to an area um, where there's been perhaps multiple sightings. that aren't too outlandish or sensationalized, and I would only bring a small handful of people and and just hang out you know and and maybe you know set up kind of a uh i guess a base camp thing or maybe do a long through hike of over a period of days where it's like you know you're hiking i don't know two three miles a day setting up a new camp and then going out and exploring until you're too tired to do so anymore and going back and sleeping. Maybe you hang out there for two days and do that and then pack up and, you know, move on another two or three miles. Um, I just think that, you know, you can ask any deer hunter and it's like all summer and early fall, they're seeing deer everywhere, every time they go in the woods. And then all of a sudden deer season opening day shows up and, you know, you would think deer didn't even exist because they're so hard to find, (laughs) you know, like I think when you, when you see a real animal, a known animal, um, it's all up to chance and it's not as easy to even see known animals as, as people seem to think, and certainly not rare animals like the, you know, the snow leopard, I believe in the Himalayas, is a perfect example. You know, that thing has only been, those animals have only been photographed or filmed a handful of times, you know, and we know they exist.
0: Sure. And even, you know, um, Diane Fossey's exploration of the mountain gorillas, didn't it take her seven years or something like that to find them or some, some enormous amount of time and research and spending a lot of time in the jungle, she finally found them. So. I don't I don't think it's that far-fetched that these things are smaller in terms of their population and number and that they're very elusive and they're aware of us that that would be the real explanation for it because other animals who are a little more uh unaware maybe not as intelligent are still elusive and know how to hide from us so imagine something that has a heightened intelligence maybe closer to us and just they just know to stay the hell away from us I I think that's a, poss- a strong possibility. Um there are so many things, unanswered questions. I hope I hope you find some answers and at least some really intriguing stories that haven't uh been explored because I think I wonder have there been more bigfoot reports now let's say in recent times the last 10 years more than ever because of these television shows because there's so many of them and there's there's so many people telling stories and the internet of course are are there more bigfoot reports than ever
1: i do think that there are um it it's interesting because i do i even saw myself uh how how easy it would be to kind of give in to the power of suggestion you know like Um, When I was mentioning earlier about the lake that I hiked out to, I had a a couple of um, events, you know, strange noises, weird scuff marks on the ground, um, splashes in the water, other things that if I had really been wanting to convince myself that it was a Bigfoot based on things that I've either read online or, you know, now learned from speaking to people, and and I'm under the impression these are a lot of the behaviors that are shared on YouTube or in you know Bigfoot TV shows. Like I could have convinced myself, oh, this is all Bigfoot, but you know, I also I've I've experienced some of those things before, so I'm like, oh, that was just you know this animal making that noise this scuff mark is probably a bear dragging its foot because it wasn't really a footprint type of thing, you know? Um, And who knows, you know, maybe it was some sort of unknown animal. I don't know because I didn't actually see anything. I just heard strange noises. Um, But I also have an explanation for those noises and I've heard similar things before. So I'm more inclined to believe it was the known animal making that noise than a a Bigfoot. Um, But I certainly do see uh, the potential for people, and I think it is to some degree happening, where people are kind of reporting experiences or encounters. Like even if you go on some of these websites and where they – document different encounters and i don't know they have them classified i don't know what the different classifications are but you know it's like you can click on one that is probably might be in your area and you look and it's like oh well it wasn't actually a sighting it was a howl or it was a tree knock and if you don't see what made the tree knock or what made the howl you could have a guess as to what it is but it's not necessarily a bigfoot You know, and I think that that's happening quite a bit. You know,
0: again, I appreciate your work and having a critical eye and an unbiased perspective, allowing people to speak, exploring the subjects as people. You know, a few years back, uh, I I know you like this documentary as much as I do. Well, it's a mockumentary. Incident at Loch Ness, Werner Herzog's you know collaboration uh, was hilarious because that's how Herzog would. Would approach a subject like this, you know, he would have his opinion from the get go, and um, and perhaps not believe in it, and then he's faced in the in the movie with an actual thing. I'm not going to give it all away, but it's it's a great comedy and satire of these ideas and of these documentaries, and um, I think it's too easy to sit there and try and uh, satirize things because there's so many stories that lend to dangerous things that happened um you know detrimental situations people disappeared people were found dead you know um and there's no explanation as to what exactly did it to them and so there's there are things there are certainly things to explore i wonder though with that question i asked you earlier like what would be the ideal situation how how come we can't find these things you know because they are so large it's not like you know, we find new insect species um you know anytime anyone goes into the amazon you know entomologists will find them uh they'll find different lizards and and um amphibians and but finding a, a giant hominid should not be that difficult unless there's just so few of them in existence uh so i don't know what i'm getting at is i don't know if a great effort has been made to actually find them you know they have these shows but they have to get in and out quick they're never there for months are you kidding me it's not like a national geographic documentary where these guys are out there for a year so these episodes are done very quickly and to make it look like they're it's made to look like they're making the greatest effort to find these things and sometimes it's it's clown world because you know there's people out there making duck calls and banging on pots and pans and drinking, you know like <laughs> running yeah. through the wood what, what 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 if this creature's out there and it's elusive, I'm sure you agree with me that it certainly does not want to be found,
1: yeah, well, and kind of you know again to loop back to that lake that I camped out overnight at, you know I'll. You know, maybe I'll go back there. I'll definitely go back there again because I I go there all the time. Um, <laughs> but I won't necessarily go there again with the intention of you know whatever looking for Bigfoot or hearing or uh, waiting to see if I hear or see anything. Um, but I you know I'll just go there for a hike or you know during hunting season or. You know, when the snow falls, just throw on some cross-country skis and go take a loop back there. Um, but, you know, part of what interests me again with that is that it is an area I'm so familiar with and I've spent quite a bit of time at over the years that, and I haven't ever, I don't, at least not that I'm aware of or recall, uh, encountered anything or... um you know seeing anything that would lead me to believe that there was a bigfoot living back there. Um, I I think that potentially if this creature exists, if it's an actual creature, it's not an interdimensional being or it's not a it's not what the aliens actually look like and they don't look like the little gray men. Um, <clears throat> so if it's an actual animal and if it exists, you know we as humans in general but certainly here in the united states um and western civilization are all you know quite arrogant and somehow feel that our continent is completely explored already so as you were saying even though you know there are folks um on tv folks in their own free time, uh, going out looking for these creatures, it's not to the same degree that people are going into the Amazon and discover animals. You know, just last year there was, I think, I don't, I don't remember the name of the animal, uh, some small carnivore, probably roughly the size of a raccoon discover and shape of a raccoon, um, discovered in the Amazon, uh, just last year that, you know it's like a subset of some other species type thing but it it had never been seen before um there was some two or three years ago some giant i think salamander or something discovered in the swamps near florida um i don't know how large i don't recall you know giant salamander could be like a foot long you know doesn't necessarily mean it's this enormous monster but um you know i think that In a lot of places, like, yes, there are out there, there are people out there trying to, you know, the DEC and wildlife management groups that are trying to, you know, track the number of deer in a deer herd, trying to, uh, you know, reintroduce wolves into certain states where they've been eradicated and things like that, um, And perhaps those people, they might even be seeing things, but if they were, they're probably keeping it to themselves because they don't want to be ridiculed, which is a shame because it's like you would think those people, that's kind of a pretty credible witness, somebody who works with wildlife and is in the woods all the time, you know? But I think in general, you know, part of my theory or thought is that if there's something out there in North America, it could remain hidden just because people aren't looking for unknown species in North America anymore.
0: Well, it makes sense, and then you have people that will see something, and maybe they, you know, look. It's the minute you alert this frenzy of interest to uh, a, a map to find one of these things, you're going to have people coming by the thousands, if not more, uh, looking for it, and it's going to be chaos. So I don't know. I think like myself, I, I part of me believes it shouldn't be found. I, I prefer it to remain this elusive thing because it's like we know uh, there's enough credible stories out there and little shreds of evidence that keep us going along. And I think most people that like to explore it do not want it to be fully revealed because then that changes the whole thing. What does it become? Then you have people out there uh, looking for money, trying to kill it, uh, dissect it, analyze it, raiding its um, habitats, making it extinct. Essentially, you know, putting it in a zoo. <laughs> yeah. What good is that? And so, I think we kind of need these mysteries, uh, and these stories are fantastic. And I think that's what's wonderful about the best of the the Bigfoot documentaries or, or books written about it is that it remains mysterious. Those are the things that always intrigue me. I don't personally, this particular thing, I don't want to be solved. The UFO thing, it's like, open up the door and let them in already. You know, let's figure this out.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm the same way. That's, you know, a big part of what, what I find appealing about the topic too, is, is the mystery of it. And, you know, there are, certainly there are, unfortunately there are people that are hoaxing there are people out there um you know who are just trying to monetize the concept of it um but there's a there's also there's people out there that are seeing something you know there's there there's certainly um not that i know of off the top of my head but there's certainly people that are um mistaken with what they saw but there's also a lot of people that i don't think are they're they're seeing something out there you know and that that to me is fascinating and you know what is it that they're seeing why is it that they're seeing it and i find all of that just extremely curious and i think it's worth hearing people out and hearing their experience hearing their encounter and trying to see is there a common denominator you know some of them some of the stories that i've heard some of the folks that i've spoken with there you know there are similarities between some of the stories and some of the descriptions but then there are parts that are very different you know and all of that I just find super fascinating, you know, is it, if, if there's differences, does that imply that it's a different, uh, creature? Does it imply that someone remembered something a little incorrectly or remembered it differently? Or, you know, one, one guy I spoke to brought up a really interesting idea that, um, I really enjoyed was he was saying that, you know, he thinks that having a Bigfoot encounter for a lot of people is a traumatic experience. And I could imagine, I mean, if I run, if I run into an eight foot tall, hairy monster in the woods, like I'm going to need to clean my shorts after that, that is going to be terrifying. And <laughs>
0: of course, because you realize the danger of it.
1: Yeah. You know. These
0: people running out there screaming. And I mean, I, I've heard from people that claim that they've literally had like hippie jamborees with them.
1: Yeah. That to me is, I mean, maybe they have, I I don't know. I don't want to just call them a liar without talking to them. But yeah, that to me is like, come on, dude. Like I'm running, bro. (laughs) You know, that, that is, that is not, I don't want to run into a bear. So, you
0: find it to be far fetched that people are dancing and singing in the sunlight with Bigfoot?
1: <laughs> yeah, that one I think might be a little too far. <laughs> but, <laughs> but anyway, so this guy that I interviewed was saying, and I like this idea that this traumatic experience can potentially, and he thinks in a lot of cases, gives people PTSD. And after he mentioned it to me, I, I, I tend to agree with it. Um, and He, his idea is that, you know, I want to make sure I give him full credit, um, is that this PTSD then gets triggered when people hear the next time they're in the woods. They hear strange noises or they see something a little weird. They see movement out of the corner of their eye, but don't get a clear view of it. it. What it is, you know, it kind of triggers their... And they relive their previous traumatic experience, um, and then you know, kind of start attributing other more commonplace occurrences to Bigfoot. Um, or you know, it can also be a reason why folks don't necessarily remember in intricate detail or why they're you know, they saw the creature and then it all of a sudden just disappeared. It's like, well, you know, in a, in a heightened state, you don't, some people don't remember everything. Your, your brain just kind of shuts itself off to protect itself because, you know, if you all of a sudden run into a Bigfoot, your entire worldview is just turned upside down. You know, your, your brain doesn't know how to process that. So yeah, I kind of like that idea that this guy was telling me too. It's, certainly interesting and you know brings in a a psychological aspect that could explain certain things uh that you know some witnesses claim or don't claim because they they don't remember accurately you know
0: sure i mean it's it's probably akin to seeing a ghost uh, or hearing a ghost which i i don't know what it was but i had an experience when i was a kid that there was something that wasn't shouldn't have been there, uh, and um, it only happened two nights in a row, and then it never happened again. It was like whispering in the night, and um, at that time, of course, I'm like, "This is a ghost. I'm being haunted." And uh, but the feeling, even thinking about it now, it's something beyond any normal experience. I could get scared by a variety of things, rightfully so. That that could happen in this world that are somewhat that are natural, you know, uh, or from something we built some kind of dangerous situation or startling situation. But when something anomalous like that happens, you're right. It does affect your perception because it puts you in a different, uh, attentiveness. You know, it's, it's, it's something that you're only used to seeing fictitious characters experience in movies or, or reading about in books. And so. I really appreciate this whole conversation. I really do. Um, you know, there's so many good things to talk about. I do want to, you know, I rarely like plug things on the show, but I, I want you to let the audience know where to find, uh, your current documentaries that are available, including the Bigfoot documentary and where to find the forthcoming documentary.
1: Oh, okay. Well, um, You can, the best way to find me is uh, at my website, which is EKS.TV. I also have a YouTube channel, which is Eric K. Swanson. Um, You can just search that on YouTube and I should come up. Um, And you can watch my current uh, Bigfoot documentary on there. I'll actually, probably within the next week or so, have another, I don't know, five to ten minute uh, short documentary of a gentleman recounting his encounter with Bigfoot uh, be put up there. And the future doc, which hopefully should be completed by the end of the year, um, will hopefully be up on Amazon and Tubi and ultimately on uh, YouTube. I'm just going to try Amazon and Tubi first this time around.
0: Thank you, my friend. And I ask every guest this on the way out um, that, and I'm not sure of what your beliefs are, so there is no right or wrong answer to this. It's whatever you come up with uh when you're ready to leave this earth or this this physical body that you're in, what would you take with you
1: i guess i would I would want to take my my consciousness and my experiences you know so what whatever possibly happens i'm I'm able to you know, I know some folks believe, I think it might be the Hindus believe in reincarnation. I'm sure a lot of other cultures do as well that I'm not aware of. Um, you know, some folks believe you go to heaven or some other sort of afterlife. Um, yeah, I think I would like to, you know, basically be aware so that I can, you know, if there is reincarnation, I could try to do it better next time, be a better human or squirrel or whatever I come back as, Um, (laughs) (laughs) you know, or I could in the afterlife try to, you know, still go in and try to find and interact with past loved ones, you know, like I'd I'd love to see my grandfather again, you know, and it would be, be horrible. Now that I think, I never really thought about this before I don't think, but it'd be horrible if there was an afterlife, but you don't retain your memories and your consciousness and your, your life experience, you could run into folks that, you know, you cherished when they were with you and, and potentially not recognize them. That would be horrible.
0: I agree. I agree. I don't want to be absorbed into some bright light and just become part of it. Screw that.
1: Well, I mean, I think, you know, not to sidetrack too much, but, um, you know, it's kind of one of those things, like even from a, obviously, I'm not a scientist. um, But from a scientific understanding, you know, it's like, I'm pretty sure they claim that energy can't be created or destroyed, it can just be transferred or converted into a different state. So it's like, well, given that thought, whatever it is, you know, we're, we're converting food into energy that makes our body move, whatever it is that is our soul our life force whatever you want to call it that makes this entity known as eric swanson move it's gotta it's gotta go somewhere i mean maybe it just becomes fertilizer in the ground for the next tree but you know it'd be cool if if it doesn't if if there's something else
0: Welcome back to Off to the Witch, I'm your host Christopher Garateno, and I want to thank you for joining the conversation tonight. I've talked to many people over the years that truly believe that the North American Bigfoot and species like it exist, that there are credible witnesses throughout history, and it's something truly to consider. What is the world that we live in? It seems that we truly do live in a mystical world that's coming to the surface. It's an exciting time but also terrifying because now that the line between fiction and reality is blurring and dissipating, the danger is no longer limited to our fiction, movies, and television shows. It's coming and spilling into our own lives. And what does that reality look like? Until next time, try to enjoy the daylight.